What is your growth framework? How are you growing? If you're growing because of marketing only, fine. Maybe growth means actually marketing only activities and growth marketing is what you need to invest into. But if growth actually means virality and product-led motion for you, you cannot just hire a growth marketing team and they're not going to fix all of the problems for you. So really getting down to the roots and understanding, are you product-led growth company? Are you marketing-led growth company? Are you a combination of both? Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, Elena Werner. Uh, who's a growth advisor and uh, entrepreneur in residence at uh, Reforge, uh, an advisor at companies like Miro, uh, MongoDB, MongoDB, and uh, OutSystems. Uh, welcome, Elena. Thank you for having me, Alex. Yeah, great to have you on, on the podcast uh, for the first time. We uh, over the summer, uh, you joined us on, on uh, one of our SaaStock sessions. Um, uh, I, I think it was on uh, on one of the marketing focused. Uh, once and uh, but no, great to have you on the podcast for the first time. So obviously, I've done a, a very short intro uh, to you there uh, with some great you know companies uh, as uh, as reference point for our uh, for our audience. But tell us a little bit about who you are as a as a person and and what you're up to at the moment. Absolutely. So uh, my passion is helping companies understand their growth frameworks and enable bottoms-up motion uh, with self-serve land and enterprise expand, mostly in the B2B space, but some of the B2C companies are moving into these motions as well. So um, I love freemium businesses. Um, My obsession is subscription uh, type of monetization motions and how to understand and drive uh, virality-led, product-led acquisition um, into the product. So I try to find companies uh, that are really doubling down into this PLG um, as a as a growth framework for their business. Uh, and my experience ranges anywhere from uh, doing marketing activities, so marketing led funnels to product led funnels, and figuring out monetization and retention strategies uh, for the businesses. Uh, companies that I've been involved, I've been um, I spent uh, incredible eight years uh, at SurveyMonkey, doing work there on analytics front, product management front, marketing front, and exiting running their growth team. And then I was uh, for two years at um, company, cybersecurity company Malwarebytes, where I ran their consumer business. And then uh, for the last year and a half, I've been advising incredible set of startups, um, just doing pattern matching for myself um, in my brain to see how different frameworks work across different industries and different teams and different company structures. And um, had amazing experience looking into and working more uh, on an interim CMO basis with Miro or on a growth advising basis with companies like um, Bonusly or MongoDB or Clockwise, which um, just pattern matching galore in terms of what actually works, what doesn't, what is a fluke and what is an actual pattern. You're based in San Francisco, so it's early morning when I call you. uh, Yes, yes, yes. In the gloomy San Francisco. (laughs) How how long have you been uh, based in SF? So um, I've actually lived in the United States uh, for the last 20 years, um, and I've been in Bay Area just moving from city to city for the last 20 years. I'm actually living uh, in Peninsula, which is a little bit south of San Francisco, but I'm very close by. 
Oh, very cool. And so you, you mentioned like so many great companies there um, and, um, you know, a, a lot of well-established companies and, and, you know, some real up-and-comers. Uh, um, how do these companies find you or do you find them? Uh, you, you know, how, how have you, you ended up, you know, advising these companies and, and joining companies like Miro, for instance? Sure. So uh, I'm really active participant of Reforge. Um, I've always coming in and mentored a lot of the classes and sessions uh, as a guest speaker there. And recently I've joined uh, to do co-creation of the content on some of their classes, as well as teach monetization course um, that is uh, actually kicking off very shortly. But um, most of the time the companies find me is A, they're one of their people attends Reforge and, and we just start chatting and discussing uh, how those concepts actually apply to their uh, to their businesses and uh, we go from there but on the other side I also do a lot of um, public speaking because I want people to actually understand what the bottoms-up motion is how to actually drive data-driven environment with an organization how to apply a growth mindset how to build a growth team and that starts a lot of conversations um, in terms of uh, companies looking for additional either just an advice or a long-term advisory relationship uh, where I can help them build and structure and uh, progress in this area. Recently, you've been both uh, advisor and still are an interim CMO at Miro, uh, which uh, before before the call you said is kind of finishing up uh, soon. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. You know, because Miro, uh, for those that, that don't know, I, I think you know originated. You know, I think from, from Europe. We've got a European. Uh, founder Andre. Uh, I don't know if he, is he based in Amsterdam or is he now? Yes. Yes, based in Amsterdam. Based in Amsterdam, he um, uh, actually uh, is maybe not even a funny story, but sort of last uh, last Sastock in Dublin, um, got our table from uh, from G two said, "Oh, Alex, like I want you to meet this founder, Andre, you know, from Miro." And I was like, "Hi, nice to meet you." And like we had a little chat. I had no idea like you know who he was or what Miro was, and it was a nice kind of pleasant like you know five minute chat. Then several months later, I was like, "Oh wow, like you know." serious business there, you know, and, and, and really kind of scaling. And again, like, you know, product-led growth business. And, you know, I think with the pandemic, what we've seen, like product-led growth business is doing really well. Um, uh, you know, SaaS companies doing really well, product-led companies doing well, Miro doing really well. But you, So you're an interim CMO uh, at Miro. Tell us a little bit about maybe how you've been helping them, uh, certainly what you can uh, share for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Miro has, uh, so I've been an interim uh, CMO for Miro for about 11 months uh, because it's actually really hard to find uh, full-time marketing leaders for companies that are not only experience extreme hyper growth and Miro is going, growing at over 200% year over year and COVID-19 only amplified it because they all sound found product market fit with everyone. But then on top of it, um, it's a really unique motion, which has not been mastered by a lot of companies um, in the space yet a lot of them are moving into the space of having dual self-serve and enterprise sales-led businesses um, at the same time. And to achieve a nice balance there and to create um, no channel conflicts between self-serve and sales-assisted and to be able to land a user but then sell a buyer and expand um, 
so start anywhere from $15 a month a user and go all the way to a million dollar deal on an enterprise side. It's not a playbook that is very well established because you have to have both consumer portion of uh, marketing and product because you, 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 you're talking to consumers, uh, to users, but then you're selling to enterprises, large contracts and enterprise buyers. So how do you duly combine marketing activities, go to market activities? How do you build ecosystems, communities and products roadmap strategy that suffice both of those personas that are quite different. Um, they're both people, but they have very different um, pain points that they're solving for because one is solving personal pain point, the other one solving organizational pain point. Um, it's, it's really fascinating to go uh, and see the business that actually has the grassroots in both at the beginning. There's a lot of businesses that start self-serve and then very late in the stage, they overlay enterprise or they start enterprise and then they go bottoms up into self-serve. This is one of those businesses that is not only growing incredibly fast, but does it uh, on both motions from the beginning, which gives them opportunity to actually lay in foundational blocks that are at least I think right, but I really believe that are right uh, for a sustainable and predictable long-term growth. Let's talk a little bit about uh, sort of growth as a business function. Um, so how does a growth team fit into the wider business? Growth has been a very loosely defined term as of late. At the beginning, when Facebook started their first growth team, it was really a team of product managers and engineers that were solving the biggest barriers for the business, regardless of where they were. If they were on the sales team, that they were on the product team, that they were analytics team. So they were like a SWAT team going from team to team and optimizing everything around it. But right now I'm seeing a very big degradation in terms of what growth actually means because companies just want growth because it, it sounds good, but they don't actually understand what they need to solve. And I think that's the biggest thing that I advise and I, I, I try to understand with every single business that I'm talking to, what is your growth framework? How are you growing? If you're growing because of marketing only, then fine, maybe growth means actually marketing only activities and growth marketing is what you need to invest into. But if growth actually means virality and product-led motion for you, you cannot just hire a growth marketing team and they're not going to fix all of the problems for you. So really getting down to the roots and understanding, are you product-led growth company? Are you marketing-led growth company? Are you a combination of both? And what is the biggest pain point that you need to fix right now in your business? And, and, and there's really three major areas. There's acquisition, there's monetization, and then there's retention. So really get into your numbers and knowing where the biggest um, biggest uh, barriers to entry are for customers, that's what growth needs to solve for you right then and then. And most importantly, that it has to evolve as you grow. So it's not going to be that growth team is only going to be, let's say, focused on acquisition or viral loops, and that's it. You really, that can move into monetization six months from now. So you need to stay really in tune with the business and define what growth for business actually means at any given point in time. And it's not a blanket statement. It's very unique and authentic and local to each company. And you cannot just uh, hire a head of growth and fix, fix all of your problems. You're just going to spend a lot of money on somebody because growth by itself um, as a title, a lot of times demands a much higher pay, but really understand what it is for you first in order for growth to actually be impactful and effective for you. Given that you mentioned that it's unique depending, let's say, on, uh, on the business and, and what the business goals are, 
then I'm assuming that you know, growth functions, if you're selling to SMBs versus enterprise, uh, can look, could look very different. Uh, would that be the case? And, and, and what would some of the key differences be? Right. Um, so I think it really depends on your scale. So um, and enterprise companies, uh, what can growth mean for enterprise company? If you have a consumer landing motion, so if you have a self-serve, a lot of growth teams actually work at the beginning to optimize self-serve business. So if you have product team that is working on features and innovation and scale, then growth team works on expanding what is already built to reach more users. So it expands the scale of existing product market fit as the product market fit continues being augmented with additional features and as the next horizon is being explored. Because that's actually a very, very big opportunity for any business just because what you release at first is not going to be what is actually uh, your customers need or how your customers want to interact with that feature or with that user flow. So growth team really finds an optimal resolution for it. And it collects additional data as an input for your next horizon as well, because growth teams are all about experimentation. And if you don't have experimentation culture in your company, I don't know what growth team can actually do for you. So you need to be ready to let go of all of the red tape, that of all of the assumptions that you've made about your business and have growth team pressure test. All of those, um, all of those pieces. However, if you're in an enterprise company that doesn't have a self-serve flow, do you have a growth team? I think yes. I think a lot of the sales ops, marketing ops functions need to be disrupted and they need to be innovated on across the internal processes in terms of how your sales does the outbound to the customer. Is it an email? Is it a short recorded video? Can they actually do a teardown of the product? How can you do that at scale? How can you automate it? And I think a lot of growth teams can actually experiment um, on a lot of these ways of how uh, teams are performing, but just make sure that there is actual scale to enable experimentation because don't bring growth team into early because at the beginning of your company and at early stages of your company, your entire employee base has to be your growth team because you're still finding product market fit and they have to understand how to scale it to a customer. However, as you go into specialization of the roles across product managers, across marketers, that's where growth team actually can help and augment and champion that scientific mindset and that growth mindset across your company and add value through experimentation. But get to a scale that where you actually have value in running some of those tests. What are your thoughts around some of the product led versus sales led organizations? Uh, I think obviously some of these behemoths and the, the sales forces of this world and you know the, uh, uh, the, the older SaaS companies were probably clearly uh, you know sales led organizations and, and now you know the last few years we're hearing you know product led growth, product led growth and seeing the product led growth companies really thriving you know at this time. Um, do sales-led organizations, you know, still have a, a future in, in, in SaaS, you know, in a couple of years' time? Are, are we still going to be see, seeing companies that are built, but building these amazing sales engines and become unicorns? Or, or should everyone just be, you know, thinking, if I'm building a SaaS now, it needs to be product-led growth from the get-go? I believe the future is a hybrid model, at least for the next 10 years. 
I think every organization will have self-serve to be able to capture lower end of the market and to give a user ability to choose and buy because not every single user can buy on the behalf of the organization, but they can buy for themselves. And users have a lot more freedom right now to purchase software in companies that have ever before. So if you want to displace a competitor that already exists in the company, if you want to create new category, if you want to be an augmentation or complete replacement of a solution, product-led strategy really gets you, removes those barriers to entry into the enterprises and it lowers your cost of acquisition, which is absolutely incredible. However, I do think sales will have to exist for at least another 10 years. I think I, I can't forecast much farther than that because I mean, our, our, our landscape is changing very rapidly, but we still need organizations to do these million dollar purchases that will never happen on self-serve, at least in the foreseeable future, just even from financial transaction perspective and ability to process something like that in a self-serve manner. But I will go as far and say, and maybe people will call it naive, but I think people are moving into wanting to things to happen quickly. There's uh, younger generations don't really want to engage with sales teams. They want to make decision on their own and they want it to be as smooth and automated as possible. So I'm very curious of what the sales um, world is going to look like in 10 years because the transformation that it has gone over even in the last five, eight years has been absolutely incredible. Instead of being 100% sales led, it's like 50-50 right now is the more desired norm uh, in terms of huge scale on self-serve that is contributing 50% to revenue. And then elephants on sales assisted um, with a really, really strong cost of revenue um, component and really large margins where a sales team can actually focus on those um, huge, huge contracts. I don't know what the future is going to hold. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see and we're in for a very large transformation over the next two decades. Yeah, no, definitely agree. Uh, um, I remember, well, even I think a few years ago, and I actually was it, well, when I say I remember, can I remember that well? But I think, um, uh, you know, seeing uh, articles around, you know, like the death of the salesman and, and so on, but this was sort of coming around at the same time as like the, the, the peak and the rise of Slack and, you know, kind of being perhaps the first poster boy of, uh, of product-led growth and seeing how they can scale to a billion dollars without the sales team. I guess Atlassian did it. Uh, as well, right? So, um... yeah, but Atlassian is a unicorn in terms of how they're able to do it. I've never necessarily seen any other company replicate this at scale. Um, and Atlassian still does it through partners. So, partners still do all of that sales motion for them, even though Atlassian themselves doesn't have a very robust sales team. So, I think we still. Sales has a very important role in the organization, and I would not advise any company to uh, to divert from a sales-led strategy, but I think figuring out how you can drive both self-serve and sales-led together is what we should be thinking about, not how to, uh, right now, eradicate uh, one or the other. You, uh, learning from you uh, today on, on this podcast is you mentioned that, you know, kind of a, an earlier stage startup uh, likely shouldn't hire uh, or perhaps even afford, you know, a, a growth uh, a, a growth manager or, or, or whatever the title is. But when you get to and, and all the employees should be uh, responsible for growth. But when you get to scale, that's when you first you know consider uh, making that hire. Um, how would you go about making that hire? Like, what should you be considering if you're, you're at that at that stage at to scale? You know, what what should you be looking for? 
My favorite quote here is actually from Brian Balfour, who um, used to say that growth is an evolution, it's not a revolution. I think uh, the best types of growth teams are homegrown. Uh, they come from either product manager, from marketing, from analytics, uh, or even potentially from finance of somebody who is just very product oriented and customer oriented. And they start very slow uh, and very small of just experimenting and running experimentation programs inside the company to just pressure test some of the assumptions that were made uh, in the go-to-market campaigns or in existing product uh, releases uh, or in existing customer experience and how everything comes connected. And then you slowly evolve into an actual full-blown growth team. So my biggest recommendation is always get one marketer or one product manager, depending where your growth needs to come from, one engineer and just let them go and just support them and optimize them for learning learning, not for successes. I think that's one of the biggest things that you need to keep in mind that growth teams are there to enable you and add additional evidence into your decision making. They're not there to just get success after success after success. I actually enable my teams. Um, I times, always say that you have to fail at least 50% of the time so we can extract learnings out of those fails. Because if we succeed all the time, that's great, but that means we're not pushing our boundaries and we're not necessarily learning anything new about our users. We would just have various uh, um, suboptimal product uh, to begin with. So I really think that just getting that one person, if you can have somebody in-house do it, st start uh, pressure testing some of those hypotheses, just one engineer, let them go, support them, have them provide the evidence. They don't necessarily need to even make any decisions. All they have to do is bring additional data points to the, uh, to the stakeholders. And I call experimentation data set as the third most crucial data set that you need to have because you have, you have quantitative, which is great, that's what's happening. You have qualitative data set, which understands, tries to understand why things are happening, but those are still correlations and experimentation data set can help you tie what and why, because it actually tests, if I change this, this is the result that's gonna happen. And it, it actually helps you understand the data behind the hypotheses that you make. So get that going homegrown as much as possible and then scale very slowly evolution, not revolution, because this is a, this is a mindset and the culture of the entire company. This is not responsibility of one team to drive growth for your entire business. We might have to do a bit of rebranding here on the podcast, the SAS evolution show, not revolution. <laughs> um, you, given your advisory roles across all, all of these great, uh, great companies, right. Uh, and you would have got some, I guess, some great insights and learnings to see how they're, dealing with this year and the pandemic and, and their effects of the pandemic on their growth or not, if their product, their growth, they may be even, you know, they've grown faster. What, what, what are your kind of key learnings really for, from this year um, from, I guess, what you've experienced, what you've seen uh, around the pandemic, you, you know, for, for, for those uh, that you can share for those that are listening? Yeah, uh, there's really, there's three states that most of the companies are at right now. Some of them have expanded their product market fit and they're growing, um, the growth has accelerated. Some of them have been really minimally impacted and they're just chugging along. Some of them are losing their product market fit because of just availability to provide their services or the need for their application. 
understand where you stand. Obviously, you should know from your numbers where you stand in those three buckets. And I think uh, if you are in a third bucket, and if you, especially if you're experiencing slowed growth, you really need to reevaluate your product market fit. So we all have our hypotheses of whether we're actually going to come back to old normal or if this is our new normal. And if this is our new normal, you have to have a contingency plan. And I would scrap all of the OKRs. I would scrap all of your product roadmap plans and all of your vision. And I would go back to qualitative research of your customers to understand, do you still have product market fit? Is there a small change that you can do in your product to achieve a bigger product market fit? Is there additional tangential pain point that you can solve for your customer that will be uniquely differentiated from what they're doing right now? But I would go back to a drawing board and I would say, do I have a contingency plan if this is our new normal? And if there, if, if we are going to come back to our old normal, uh, how, how long of a runway do I actually have to continue seeing the slowed growth? But I wouldn't wait for that. I would not recommend it. And I would just start moving in a new direction because the world is going to move towards more distributed, remote, um, online interactions um, place in the future anyways. And this is the line of the business that maybe you can run parallel to anything else that you're offering. But I would heavily, heavily think of the new strategy and uh, put a bet onto it. But Obviously, it depends on your customers to actually tell you whether they want to do it or not. The one thing I would recommend is I won't try to go and try to find new customers. I also would not try to expand into new markets right now. At first, I would start with your existing market and your existing customers and see if I can actually find a better solution for them right now, as opposed to really thinking about innovation and expanded, expanding into new territories or into new customer bases and use, use cases because that's just going to be a lot harder. Uh, a lot, it'll take a lot more money and it will take a lot longer for you to ramp up uh, and get to scale. Great, great advice there. And the final question as we come to the end of the show, uh, back to, to you individually, how do you stay healthy and sane? And, uh, and again, even more important uh, uh, this year. Fun question because my work is my hobby. I actually love doing what I do. I wake up ex invigorated about what I, the problems I have to solve every single day, and I absolutely obsess about every single thing uh, that is happening in my in my world. So. I love my job, so it, I actually I don't necessarily want to create a lot more boundaries towards it, but I have family, I have two wonderful children that are uh, six and four, so I protect my schedule and I prioritize ruthlessly. I go through my calendar and I just start axing meetings out that I absolutely don't need to be in. I uh, take rain checks on projects that I just cannot take on right now, so I don't oversubscribe. I protect my evening times with my family. I don't log in between five and seven period. That's my time with my family. And then after seven, I can maybe do a little bit more slack or email chatter, but I'm not going to be necessarily doing any work because I need headspace to also relax. Because even that's night, I sleep and dream about work and solving problems. So I definitely need those couple of couple of hours of wine on the on the couch and watching some show to just uh, turn my brain off. But I think it's all about just setting boundaries. And I actually don't believe that there's any such thing as work-life balance. There is a work-life prioritization that you make on day-to-day -day basis that makes you happy and that makes you feel good about yourself. And some days I work crazy hours and some days I just take off because I need some time off and spend time with my family. And I make that decision on day-to-day -day or week-to-week basis.
Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Elaine, it's been uh, amazing learning from you uh, today. Where can people find you uh, online and connect with you? Yes, please ping me on LinkedIn. Um, just drop me a note uh, in terms of uh, what you want to chat about. I would be happy to uh, get on the call and problem solve or just brainstorm of what's going on in your world. And any way that I can help um, people to advance in their careers or for people to advance their businesses, I'm always super happy to get involved. Amazing. Well, uh, thanks so much, uh, Elena Werner, um, uh, entrepreneur in residence at, uh, at Reforge and an advisor to multiple amazing uh, SaaS companies. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alex, for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world.